Welcome to the South Fellowship Podcast. Here at South Fellowship, we exist to help people live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. And wherever you're listening from today, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Hey, good morning, everyone. Okay, we'll try that again as we all find our seats here. Good morning, everyone. That's terrific. Hey, it's good to see you all this morning. Here we are, just a, a week before Christmas. My goodness gracious. And, uh, you know, this December has gone pretty fast, but I'm looking forward to Christmas Eve, us all getting together. Um, and, and I get to have this, this last week of Advent. And uh, so what I'm going to be talking about today is the quietest guy at the Nativity. Qui- Anybody want to take a guess? Who's the quietest guy at the Nativity? Okay, I heard a, boy, that was timid. I heard a few saying, Joseph, and you're totally right, it's Joseph. Joseph is the quietest guy in the nativity. Now, one of the things I've done during um, this Advent season is, you know, we set up our stuff, uh, well, actually, it was right after Thanksgiving. We put up our Christmas tree, we set up some nativity sets, we put out the outdoor lights. We were kind of early, but it was fun to sit there every morning, and uh, we've got this tree, and underneath this tree, we've got one of my favorite little nativity sets. It's this gold one that we stick under the tree, Um, and I don't know when we got this, but I was talking to Kara, Kara Wynn, while we were sitting over here. She said, I've got the same gold nativity set, and I just broke Mary's nose, Um, (laughs) but, uh, you know, I've had so much fun just sitting there with a cup of coffee, just kind of thinking about what was that like? And, and, you know, here's Mary who's got this great Magnificat, you know, and this great song that she sings. And, man, we've had music put to it, you know. And uh, here are the angels that say, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth to whom his favor rests. And, and you can just imagine what they're saying. That the shepherds, the shepherds come, and then they're the first missionaries. They go out, you know, totally unqualified in a sense, and yet God said, Go. And they went and they spoke and they were so excited about what was, what was happening. They told everybody in the town. And you got the wise men. The wise men come and they put their gifts before uh, Mary and Joseph and Jesus and, uh, and worship him. And then you got Joseph who just doesn't say anything the whole time. Um, in fact, I thought Joseph spoke up uh, kind of in Luke chapter 2, I think it's right at the end of the chapter, you know, where, where Jesus is now 12 years old and they go to the temple, they go to Jerusalem and Jesus stays behind, never catches up with his parents and causes them all kind of worry. And I thought, well, Joseph probably scolded him then, but it was Mary. Mary said, man, you made your father and I really worry. So you never hear Joseph speak up. In fact, have you ever heard of a Christmas carol about Joseph? I was trying to think. If anybody has, let me know. You know Joseph had a mayor. Anyway, um, we could probably come up with something. But Joseph is the silent one. And not only that, um, this was a nativity set. Well, I, I bought one like this um, back when we went a few years ago to the Holy Land. And all over Jerusalem and the Holy Land, they sell these olive wood nativity sets. And I just had to have one. So I bought one. Um, and I was looking at this nativity set, and you know, now they've got Joseph kind of as that tall guy in the back, but he kind of looks like a wise man to me. Actually, when you look at it, you could have three choices for Joseph. 
I mean, it could be the guy on the right who's got the staff, because usually Joseph is seen as having a staff. Or it could be the guy on the left who's kind of, um, or yeah, on, on, anyway, I'm dyslexic. Um, the other guy who's kind of kneeling down, or it could be the guy in the back. I, I know when I was a kid, we had a cardboard nativity set. And we would set it up every year. And you could always confuse Joseph with the tallest shepherd. Um, I actually broke the tallest shepherd's leg one time, and it was never quite the same. Anyway, that's beside the point. Um, but when I think of Joseph, we know really nothing about him. We get some characteristics about him as we look at the scriptures we're going to look at today. But do you realize how pivotal Joseph was in this whole story? Do you realize what Joseph did? God looked down and chose Joseph to be his stepdad. God, the creator of all things, stepped into his creation and asked his creation to take care of him. And Joseph had to cradle Jesus, the son of God. Joseph would grab Jesus' hand and help him toddle, help him learn how to walk. Joseph kind of gave Jesus some instructions, taught him some vocations, raised him. How amazing. And I will tell you, the enemy did not want that to happen at all. And just as he was on the search for Jesus when he was an infant, he was on the search for Jesus throughout his life. And Joseph was called by God to protect him. Amazing. Amazing. Well, let's take a look at some scriptures, and um, we're going to look at the some verses in Matthew chapter 1, which is really seeing the Christmas story from Joseph's point of view, and then see what we can pull out about Joseph's life. Um, in fact, I'd love you to read this with me. If you just look up here, let's start at verse 18 and read together out loud. This is how, Joseph, uh, how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. Wow. How many times have we read that? It brings back warm feelings. I don't think this was a warm time. Um, let's go back to the first section. Um, this is how the, the Jesus the Messiah was born. While she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this became a dilemma for Joseph. Uh, some other translations that you may have. This is called the, the New Living Translation I use. I just like to use it. It's kind of a 
simpler translation, and I, I love how it flows. But in other translations, which are probably a little more accurate, it says she was found to be with child. And you can also translate that as she was found out to be with child. Out. Um, if you go back and, and you look at Luke chapter 1, where the angel Gabriel comes to Mary, you know, what an amazing time. And he, he explains that she's going to have a child, and this child is going to be a, a, a God's son, and, and the Holy Spirit will implant in her womb. And Mary finally says, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll be that. And I wonder if Mary also wondered, are you going to tell Joseph the same thing? Um, as, as you read in that passage, it says, a few days later, she went down to see her cousin Elizabeth, who the ga who angel Gabriel said was also pregnant. So she went down to visit her and was with her for about three months. Um, and so during that three months, you know, she would have grown a little bit. During that three months, then she finally comes back to Nazareth. And that's when it says she was found out to be with child. I, I wondered very much, did, did Mary go to Joseph? And, and you wonder, did she say, uh, you know, while I was gone, did, did you have any dreams? Did anybody come and share anything with you? Um, and I can just imagine Joseph saying, no. And it was obvious at that time that she was pregnant and something had happened and Joseph was wondering, what do I do with this? Um, let's look at some characteristics of Joseph that come in the next verse. He was a righteous man. He was a righteous man. And, you know, we're called to live righteously. We're called to be righteous. And I've oftentimes wondered, what does righteous really mean? And, you know, you got the word right in there. So it's doing right things. Um, but within this very story, there's kind of a simple definition of righteous. Righteousness. We have to go to another book, and that's in Luke chapter 1, where we see a little bit about the story of this Zechariah and Elizabeth. And so I'm going to show you the verses over in Luke chapter 1. When Herod was the king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. And you can also translate that they were righteous. They were carefully obeying all the Lord's commandments and regulations. And that's what righteousness looks like. Having that desire to live out the commands and the regulations that God lays out before us. So here is Joseph, who is a man who desires to live out God's regulations. And here is Mary, who is pregnant while they are engaged before they've come together and Joseph is left in a dilemma because the law says in Deuteronomy chapter 22 where it's talking about situations like this suppose the man's accusations the accusation that my fiance is pregnant are true and he can show that she was not a virgin then the woman must be taken to the door of her father's home and there the men of the town must stone her to death for she has committed a disgraceful crime in Israel by being promiscuous while living in her parents' home. In this way, you will purge this evil from among you. Ouch. 
And Joseph is left with this dilemma. I want to follow God's commands. But one of his commands is she has to be stoned. And if she wasn't stoned for adultery, chances are when she tells people that, you know, Joseph didn't do this, this was God who did this, she'd be stoned for blasphemy. So Joseph's left in this dilemma. Um, Here's a picture of something called the Mishnah. The Mishnah. And the Mishnah is a, is a series of books that were written by Jewish rabbis and written about three to 400 years before Mary and Joseph stepped on this earth. The Mishnah means um, repeated study. Repeated study. And it was where the rabbis would take the rules, the laws, the ordinances of God, and they would try to decipher how you live these out, what, what it meant to do this. So within the Mishnah, which was a series of books... There was one book called the Mishnah Sota. The Mishnah Sota. And the Mishnah, now the word Sota means errant women. Sorry, gals. Um, and so this meant the repeated study about errant women. And I thought for sure there must be something about errant men someplace, uh, but there isn't. Um, Anyway, when you look at this whole chapter and what they do with errant women, I have to admit, folks, it disgusted me. And before I read anything, and, and I'm not going to read anything disgusting, but it, it just makes me realize how grateful I am that I didn't live back then. How grateful. I, I would have made a rotten priest. But it also makes me so grateful for the impact that Jesus Christ made on this world that he stepped in and flipped some of those things on its head. He took religion and made it life instead of something deadening. Um, here's just one thing that was written in the Mishnah, the Mishnah Sota. If after the judge's warning she says, I am defiled, well, then she writes a receipt for her marriage contract. That is, she writes a receipt indicating that she has no claims on her husband with regard to the sum written in her marriage contract as a woman who admits to adultery forfeits her right to this payment. Then it goes on page after page after page after page of how this woman was disgraced, was shamed, and was stoned. And it left me empty. Here's Joseph. He's a righteous man, and he's in a dilemma. What do I do? Um, well, we know from the rest of that verse, he did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. What does that mean, to break the engagement quietly? Well, there's some other verses in Deuteronomy speaking about unfaithfulness and about adultery, uh, about things leading to divorce. It's not much better, I'm sorry, but we're going to read it. It's down in Deuteronomy chapter 24. Suppose a man marries a woman, but she doesn't please him. Having discovered something wrong with her, he writes a document of divorce, hands it to her, and sends her away from his house. Now, as I read a certain translation, or what this meant, doesn't please him? There were a lot of Stupid reasons for why a woman didn't please a man. Her nose might be too big. I don't know why he didn't discover that before. But, um, you know, it was just, again, just bugged me no end. And I was still looking for, where is that Mishnah part about errant men? 
but it's not there. But here's the suggestion for Joseph. Okay, I could divorce her quietly. I could write out a bill of divorce. I could say there's something that's displeasing. I don't have to say it's because she's pregnant. And rather than take it to the elders of the city or the town, I can call two witnesses. And those two witnesses could come. They could see me sign this. And then Mary would be dismissed from these obligations to marry me, and I'd be dismissed. Um, but in his doing that, remember how that Mishnah Soda said um, she had to forfeit the marriage contract and give the money back to the husband? By Joseph signing this and saying he, there was something that displeased him, he was giving up that money that he already gave to the parents. So it cost him something to do this. Um, but I still see within that, there's a merciful side of Joseph. So, so I wrestled with this. This is kind of like merciful righteousness. He wants to please God. He wants to protect Mary. He wants to do uh, the right thing. Um, you know, again, I'm sure Mary would have wished the angel would have shown up a little sooner. You know, one thing I, was, I, I should have said earlier, and I apologize about this, but, you know, we've been having this play every week, and you may be wondering, how come there wasn't any drama this morning? Well, sickness kind of hit some of, the, some of the cast, and so we've called it off. I don't know if we're going to record it and try to get it out to you so you can see the last and final chapter, because it's not over yet. Um, but we'll try to get it out to you somehow. But in this last scene, you know, I was a crazy wise guy one week and then a silly shepherd the next week. Um, this week, I just have one line, one line, sitting at the table, and I say, did you ever wonder why is it that God seems to do all his work at night? <laughs> and another way I've kind of looked at this did you ever wonder why God always seems to do his work when we're in the dark? And he doesn't always explain to us why. Why didn't Gabriel just come to Joseph before Mary had to go through all this, before Joseph had to go through all of this? Why didn't they just explain it? You know, many times when we look back on stuff in our life that made no sense, we can look back, and it suddenly makes sense why. And I think if the angel had come to Joseph right in the very beginning and told Joseph what to do, I think we never would have known that Joseph was a merciful, righteous man. But the angel eventually did come to Joseph after he wrestled with all this, after he came up with this solution of his that he would divorce her quietly and try to protect her in that way. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will have a son. You're to name him Jesus for he'll save his people from their sins. What a message. What a dream that Joseph has. Um, and, and it also amazes me, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. Uh, he, he didn't wait around. It doesn't say in two weeks they got married. It says when he woke up, he went to Mary and he said, Mary, let's get married. 
let's just forget this whole thing and get married and we'll just do it. And, and I at first was going, isn't that terrific? What great news. Yeah, Mary was telling the truth. The Holy Spirit is the one that planted this child inside her. That is wonderful. I think I'll go marry Mary. Except Mary's still pregnant. And everybody's kind of found out. Except now that Joseph has married Mary, it looks like Joseph is the guy that really messed her up. And he's going to have to live with that. And except they both know that God planted this child in Mary's womb, but how in the world do you share that with anybody and not be stoned for blasphemy? Joseph stepped into a quagmire with Mary when he took this on. So here are these characteristics of Joseph. He's a righteous man, but he's merciful and he's obedient to God. Uh, humbly submissive, I would say. He submitted to what God said. Didn't totally understand why, but he, but he humbly did it. Um, hmm. Those are heart characteristics. Those are inward characteristics. What the world around them is seeing is that Mary was adulterous and Joseph was the one who did it. And they're having to live in that kind of stigma. But I look at these. Joseph is righteous. Joseph is merciful. Joseph is humbly submissive. And it has a ring to it. It's found in Micah. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what's right, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. And I see that these characteristics that we see in these verses fits right into Micah chapter 6, verse 8. But you know what? They're inward qualities. They're heart qualities. They're qualities that really, as people watch, it doesn't really be noticeable all that much, except in their outward behavior. But what the people see is that this couple messed up. This couple failed. And there's some other disqualifying characteristics, I think, outward characteristics that are there in Joseph's life. And I just want to focus on those for a little bit. Um, Joseph was a poor carpenter from Nazareth. And you may say, well, why would that disqualify anybody from being the parent of the Messiah? Well, let's take a look. First of all, from Nazareth. Remember when Nathanael was approached by Philip and said, Jesus, he's from Nazareth, and, and he's the one. And, and Nathanael says, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? And we may say, ah, he maybe had the wrong thing to eat that morning. But no, that was a pretty widely held view. If it wasn't from Jerusalem, I mean, Nazareth was way up north by Galilee. Later on, when Jesus is um, teaching the crowds, uh, it says, but he can't be the Messiah. Will the Messiah come from Galilee? For the scriptures clearly state that the Messiah will be born of the royal line of David in Bethlehem. And little did they know they were actually supporting Jesus' cause. But they still thought, he's from Nazareth. That's Joseph's hometown. That's where he was raised. Um, he can't be the Messiah, not from Galilee. Okay. He was a poor carpenter from Nazareth. 
he returned to Nazareth, his hometown. When he taught in the synagogues, everyone was amazed and said, where does he get this wisdom and the power to do miracles? And then they scoffed. He is just the carpenter's son. And they were deeply offended, and they refused to believe them. He's just the carpenter's son, they scoffed. You know, like I told you a few years ago, Carrie and I were able to go to the Holy Land, to, to Israel. And I have to admit, it was a wonderful experience. I'd love to do it again. In fact, I'd love for a lot of us to be able to go over there and see. But when I was over there, boy, the guide kind of wrecked my view of, of a number of things. And one of them was of being a carpenter. Um, when we were going around, she said, now all of you have heard that Joseph, the father of Jesus, was a carpenter, right? We all said, yeah, yeah, yeah. She said, well, look around you. So we're looking around, she said, you see many trees? We had to realize, well, there's not a lot of trees, even though they make olive wood nativity sets. And she said, wood was mainly something for wealthier, richer people. They would panel their houses with wood. It was only a certain segment, but by far the vast majority of people couldn't afford wood items. Um, so to think that Joseph could make a living in Nazareth, which was a small fundamentalistic town up north, is a little bit of a stretch. And uh, I was a little dashed by that. Um, because whenever I look at the nativity set and I see that little manger, I think. And have you seen that picture where, um, you know, Joseph's at his workbench and he's working away. And Jesus is on the floor like a three or four year old. And he's got a little toy hammer and he's working away. It's just, it's so nice and warm and I like that. Um, and suddenly it was dashed. Um, so I, I had to go and see, what does this word carpenter? Well, I mean, what is the word in Greek? So I looked it up. It's tecton, tecton, not tiktok, tecton. And can you hear, there's a little ring in that tecton, tecton. I hear of tectonic plates. Do you ever think of that? You know how the idea that the continents floated apart, these tectonic plates, has something to do with, yeah, earth science, tecton. And, and the word tecton can mean craftsman, can mean carpenter, but more than not, it meant stonemason. So as we're on this tour of Israel, uh, I think it was about the third day, we're going through this one site, archaeological site, and our guide says, hey, I want to show you a manger. You know, how, how uh, the same kind of thing that Jesus was laid in um, on his birth. Here it is. And, I, and suddenly my, my warm, cozy wooden manger was gone. And I'm looking at the stone manger chiseled out. And when you read scholars, a lot of them say that, well... In houses in that day of the common people, yes, they, they lived in, in stone floors and oftentimes they would chisel out something that looked like this into the stone floor and that became a manger. They would put grain and feed in there and the animals would feed. It would be a hole right in their, in their living room, wherever. Um, this was a manger that was self-standing. Um, Amazing to see that. Uh, a few days later, Carrie and I went to a place and it was called Bet Sheehan. Bet Sheehan. And uh, Bet Sheehan was a town in northern Israel. It was actually maybe a little less than 10 miles away from Nazareth. And our guide, again, dashed my vision of things and said, this 
city, this town, uh, was rebuilt under the Roman occupation. And all we can figure out is that during the childhood of Jesus and during his young adulthood, this building project was going on. And, and the city of Beth Shean was being built. There were stone uh, streets. There were stone pillars. Um, there was an amphitheater that was built into the mountain. And stonemasons from 10, 20 miles away were hired to come and do this work. And it was really about the only job available to them. So the speculation is that Joseph, as a tecton, would have brought his son, son Jesus, who he was training to be a tectonette or whatever, uh, and, and brought him there and learnt, teaching him the art of stonemasonry and doing the work in this place. But here's the catch. Then they would go back to Nazareth, which was a very fundamentalistic, uh, conservative town of Nazareth that looked really askance at anyone that would help the Romans build a city that would be Hellenistic in nature. Um, and Hellenistic meaning it, it really embodied and glorified the Greek and the Roman cultures. Uh, it had theater and thespians. Um, it had all kinds of stores and, and, and things like that. Uh, it, it was kind of a compromise from the Nazarite viewpoint, from the Nazarenes. So here's Joseph taking Jesus. And that would seem like one of those disqualifications. Um, so much so that, and this is the same incident I read before, but this is from Mark's view. Then they scoffed, he's just a tecton. They said that about Jesus. Not just about Joseph, his father, but about Jesus himself. And we know his family. But it didn't jive with their expectations of who the Messiah would be. Um, and then lastly, he was a poor carpenter from Nazareth. Uh, in Luke chapter 2, 40 days after Jesus was born, they went to Jerusalem because there was the purification ritual for Mary. Then it was time for their purification as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of two turtle doves or two young pigeons. And when you look that up, two young pigeons was made for very poor people. So Joseph and Mary fit into that context of being very poor. And for the Israelite people expecting their Messiah to come, expecting the Messiah to come and free them from the Romans, they were expecting royalty. They were expecting someone who would come with power. They were expecting someone not from some city up in Nazareth. They weren't expecting a tecton. Um, so I put those up, a poor carpenter from Nazareth. But there's also another disqualifying characteristic of Joseph, a descendant of King David, except... And I put that word except up there because um, there's a couple genealogies. And genealogies were very important to the Israelite folks. And it would trace that lineage and trace it all the way back to David. And we know that uh, Joseph and Mary went to Bethlehem to give birth to Jesus. And they went there because they were of the lineage of King David. There's a genealogy in Matthew. And there's a genealogy in Luke. And scholars believe that the one in Luke is Mary's genealogy. The one in Matthew is Joseph's genealogy. And they're, they're very similar except. They, I mean, they both go to King David and then come up to them. The trouble is, when you get to King David, all of a sudden Joseph's genealogy swings over to Solomon and then goes through all the kings. When you get to Mary's genealogy, she gets to David, it swings over to the son of David called Nathan 
and goes through some different individuals and comes to Jesus. So both are in the line of David, but there's a kicker. Let me just read. Um, I think it's coming up. Yeah. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 10, in this genealogy, Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Manasseh was the father of Amnon. Amnon was the father of Josiah. Josiah was the father of Jehoiachin, or Jeconiah, and his brothers born at the time of the exile to Babylon. Um, okay, at the time of this king Jehoiachin, or Jeconiah, that was the time when Jeremiah the prophet was prophesying. And God gave Jeremiah something to say to Jehoiachin. And it became what was known as the curse of Jeconiah or the curse of Jehoiachin. It's found in Jeremiah chapter 22. As surely as I live, says the Lord, I will abandon you, Jehoiachin, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Even if you were the signet ring on my right hand, I would pull you off. And then it says, this is what the Lord says, let the record show that this man Jehoiachin was childless. He is a failure, for none of his children will succeed him on the throne of David to rule over Judah. Now someone came up to me after the first service and said, well, if he was childless, I mean, how, did, how was he in this genealogy? But notice it's a little twist that God's saying. He's childless in my eyes, and none of his children will be able to sit on my royal throne. So anyone in that lineage, anyone coming from Jehoiachin or Jeconiah, would realize, well, yeah, I, I can't have anybody of royalty in my line. And Joseph came from Jeconiah. So you've got that kind of disqualifying characteristic about Joseph. Now to us, looking back, makes all the sense in the world because Joseph was the stepdad. He wasn't the actual father of Jesus. It was God himself. But to those people who were there, the outward view of this was that Joseph, there's no way Joseph could have a child that would be the savior of the world, the Messiah to come. So you look at these characteristics. A poor carpenter from Nazareth, a descendant of King David, except. And I would probably add a number of other things. The idea that, yeah, this child was out of wedlock. And, you know, it's interesting, when you go to John chapter 8, where Jesus is teaching a crowd, and granted, he's teaching about being a descendant of Abraham and a person of faith. But when he says that to this crowd, they respond and say, well, we're not illegitimate children. And in that translation, they could be saying, we are legitimate children of Abraham, but the translation seems to indicate they're saying, we're not illegitimate children like you. So that reputation followed Joseph and Mary and Jesus throughout his life. Now let me just ask you. If, yeah, if you met a couple like that, maybe the inward qualities of, of, of being righteous and, and, and wanting to do right and, 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 and humbly submissive, but to have those things going against you, how would you qualify to be, able to, to be able to be the parent of the Savior of the world? So I go back to our nativity set. And I look at them and I realize here's the quietest guy in the nativity. He doesn't say a word. But guess what? Somehow God chose him 
to carry Jesus, the Son of God, in his arms. And he may not fit our outward ideas of what it should look like, but he had the heart of someone of what it would look like. And I think many times we get hung up on the outward ideals. Many times we get hung up on what a person should look like in order to be that good Christian, in order to be that person who is capable of actually carrying God to the rest of the world. And I will just assure you, God doesn't care about your background. God doesn't care about your vocation. He doesn't care about your economic wealth. He cares about your heart. He cares about the fact that you would uh, do what is right, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. I've got to tell you a little story that came to me as I was, as I was working on this. And this happened to Carrie and I about, oh, I'd say 20 years ago. We had gone to Chicago. We had gone to visit. We were, we were going to spend some time with some really good friends. It's one of Carrie's best friends, Marlene and Bert. And um, Bert is a very unique individual. Uh, Bert was a, a, a quadriplegic, a, a paraplegic, but he was confined to a wheelchair. He had his upper muscles, but he, he didn't have his spine muscles, if you can understand that. He couldn't move his fingers. But he could move his arms like that. He and Johnny Erickson Tata used to get together and discuss their injuries because they both happened while they were diving and swimming. And Johnny Erickson's was about a couple centimeters lower, and she totally lost the use of her large muscles. But Bert still had his. I, I can still remember watching Bert as he would take a, a rubber band, he would, with his mouth, put it over his thumb, stretch it over his pinky, and then he'd slide a pencil through, and he would do the best-looking artwork. It was fascinating. Well, we met Bert and Mar out in Chicago, and we, we spent the week together going to this conference, and then Saturday night rolled around, and we wanted to go to this large church. Uh, we had heard lots about it. Uh, they had a Saturday night service, so we said, ah, let's just go and see what it's like. So Bert being in this massive wheelchair, um, Grace and Jeff, you know what that's like. Uh, they had this big van, and in this van there was a lift that Bert would roll his chair You'd hit a button, it would go up. He'd roll into the van. You'd hit another button, it would fold, and the door would shut. Anyway, we drove over to this massive parking lot full of cars. We had to park quite a ways away. <clears throat> we went to the service, had a great time. And uh, we wanted to stay afterwards, so we went to the library of the church. We went to some other things and saw it. So it was probably about 40 minutes after the service that ended. We uh, rolled out to the van rolled across the parking lot that was now pretty empty. It was dark. Um, I hit the button. The, 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 the lift came down. Bert rolled on it and went up. Got inside. We latched him in. Girls took their seats. I got in the driver's seat, put the car in, and click, 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 click. I go, ooh. <sighs> so I turned it again. Click, 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 click. I thought, what am I going to do? So I went out. I opened the, the hood of the van because I wanted to look like I knew what I was doing. And... Um, <laughs> You know, messed around a little bit, came back in, click, 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 click. And I go, ah. Oh. And, and we realized, oh, we don't even have a way now to open the door to lower the lift. And Bert was stuck in that van, and it's nighttime, and there's very few cars around. We were starting to get a little desperate. I went back out, and I'm looking at this motor just trying to figure out, come on, Lord, what's going to happen? 
And all of a sudden, there were some headlights behind me. I turned around to see this old, and I mean old, Cadillac, you know, one of those big old, big cars, came driving up, door opened up, and out stepped this guy, tall, lanky guy with a baseball cap, cigarettes sticking out, you know, ashes all the way down. He comes over and said, what's the problem? And I said, well, and I explained, you know, I've got a friend in there, and this is a handicapped van, and we just can't get him out, and I've got to figure out how we can get back to the motel. And he said, okay. So he goes over, and he's looking in the motor case with his cigarette just sticking right there. And I'm thinking, I'm going to have a charred friend pretty soon. Um, And then without saying anything, he goes back to his car. And I'm thinking, what was that about? Uh, It was about a minute later. I see some more, another vehicle coming, and it's a truck this time. Out pops the guy, grabs a toolkit. The two of them walk over to the car. They take a hammer, bang, bang, bang. And I'm thinking, oh, this is going to help. He says, he says, Go try it now. So I go, oh, my goodness gracious. And I, I got out and I said, okay, you guys, you got to tell me, who in the world are you? And the guy, he finally takes the cigarette out of his mouth. And he says, well, we call ourselves the parking lot angels. And I said, the parking lot angels? And he said, yeah, you know, a couple years ago I became a Christian. And uh, I came to this church and I wanted to join, and they said, well, if you want to join, you've got to be a volunteer in one of our ministries. So he said, I looked at the ministries. There's 50 or 60. There's no way I was going to change diapers in a nursery. <laughs> he said, I couldn't find anything. So we'd, there was a bunch of other guys that were having the same problem. So we got together, and we said, well, I guess we're supposed to pray about it. So we prayed, and one of the guys, when we lifted our heads, said, why don't we become parking lot angels? And so what they did was, they would spend an hour after every service, Saturday night, and there was three on Sunday, an hour at a time just patrolling the parking lots, making sure everybody was fine. There was a little note that said, hey, if you have a, a problem with your car, lift the hood of your car, and we'll come help you. And those guys became our angels that night. And I got to tell you, when I first saw them get out of the car, I thought, no way. <laughs> Shame on me for judging by outward behavior, outward looks, instead of the heart that wanted to serve, that wanted to use the the gifts that God had given them. And I say the same thing to each and every one of us. Let's not judge by the outward. Let's look at the heart. And if you're living in the past, thinking that you're disqualified by being an instrument of God's hand, let me assure you, you're not disqualified. There is nothing in your past that can shame you. The the enemy would like you to believe that, but that's a lie. God has come to redeem you. And just as he chose Joseph to be that stepdad, to carry his son Jesus as an infant and train him as a child and instruct him as a young man, he calls each and every one of us to carry Jesus into the world. He calls every one of us to take that message of Jesus Christ into the world to other people, regardless of who we are, regardless of our background. He frees us from that. And I want to challenge you, I guess, this last week of Christmas. Get a cup of coffee or a tea or something like that sometime in the morning and sit down in front of a nativity set. I kind of go through each one of those characters, but spend some time with Joseph, the guy who never says a word but the guy who was so pivotal in 
the fact that we now have the gospel of Jesus Christ right in our hearts. And then step out just as Joseph did. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you would choose people like us. I mean, we're your creation, and yet you entrusted the most marvelous truth to us to carry into the rest of your created world. And Lord, may you free us from anything that's holding us back. May we realize, oh, what a privilege, what a joy to be your child, to carry your truth, to have you within our lives. We love you. May we be your instruments in your hands. Amen. If God is working in your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us. You can give online at southfellowship.org give or on the South Fellowship Church app. Thanks again for listening and have a great rest of your day.